Welcome to another edition of the OUinsider.com podcast. It is February 24th. That is a Monday, and I am joined by Colin Kennedy, OUI staff writer. Follow him on the Twitters at CK247. Colin, man, how you doing? Oh, it's always good to talk, RJ. I'm excited, too. This week we got the combine. I'm going to H-Town, going to eat that good barbecue. Looking forward to it. So let's talk some ball. Okay, first of all, what's in H-Town? It's Houston, man. Right. We got to get it down there and get the good stuff. I mean, I'm hitting Pankerson's. I'm hitting Truth. You got to get some good stuff and make your bank account a little disappointed while you're down see, there. See, see, this man. Uh, and that's like driving like eight hours in one direction for you, right, Nellis? Oh, yeah, man. I'm going to be flooring it in the truck, and we'll probably be hitting some Bucky's on the way down. So that's another poor self discipline choice. And I love Bucky's. Uh, Bucky's is magnificent. It's a carnival. I mean, it's it the is. promised land. Oh, man. Like, I, I I took my girlfriend there for the first time, like, like I want to say, like, November, December. And she's like, what is this? And and I said, this is this is awesome. That's what this is. She said, this is country. <laughs> I said, yes. And I am country. We are country. <laughs> she's like, I'll, I'll, I'll wait in the car. I'm like, like hell. Come on. And then she got to, you know, she got to see the brisket sandwiches and the illustrious Ooh. water fountains. And... One of the things that I love to, to say about Bucky's is your mom would be proud to go in there and take a dump. It's it's just they keep it magnificently clean. Bucky's, please sponsor the podcast. Just saying. We love it. Uh let's talk some ball. Let the NFL draft combine began in earnest today. And we have height and measurements, height weight measurements coming out for the quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts, right around 222 pounds, six feet. One inch tall. I mean, that makes him an inch taller than Tua Tagovailoa. It's going about the way that we thought. Uh, Justin Herbert's about 240 pounds on the bigger side. Anthony Gordon on the smaller side, like six foot two, 205. I like the meat market, but I also like the meat market because I'm a nerd. How do you feel about it, Colin? Uh, I don't really look into it too much. I guess more than anything, I was just very excited to see quote unquote underside CD Lamb measure. And well, basically everything indicated that he was not, but. I don't really put too much stock into this phase of the combine unless it's, well, what everyone wants to wonder, like in the situation of Kyler Murray a a year ago. But I I think what really does it for me is when we're starting to do the on-field drills, which begins Thursday, if I remember correctly. So Mm -hmm. that's really when I'll be tuning in. I'll have some stuff on that coming up later this week. Right on. So CeeDee Lamb and Jared Judy are basically identical in their height, weight measurements which is interesting because they're not the same player. Um, Judy's probably faster and a better route runner, but CeeDee Lamb is a better pass catcher. Matter of fact, the comp mm-hmm. that I've heard the most is DeAndre Hopkins, which is not terrible company to be in because that man catches everything in his vicinity. <laughs> you know, that's 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 pretty that's pretty decent. Um, I haven't been paying attention to the Jerry Judy comps. Have you? Uh, I haven't too much. I know a lot of people feel like he's more of a slot guy. I've tried to come up with some comps off the top of my head, but I guess I haven't really nailed down something too much because of research. But, I mean, hey, you get D-Hop comparison, you're probably pretty solid. And you mentioned that he's probably one of the best pass catchers. I think he's probably one of the best yards after the catch guys in the entire draft, wide receiver or running back, for that matter, in terms of yards after contact. So, and I think this is going to be interesting to see. I, I, now my next project is to figure out who Jerry Judy is in the NFL. Well, I mean – what was it? Mel Kiper called CD Lamb CD Yak. I'm like, yeah, okay. I, I can get with that. 
I can get with that. Yeah. Especially, all you got to do is bring up the Texas tape from this year and see my man basically juking four dudes out of their sh- out of their shoes and going to the end zone. That was probably his signature game and the one for which will be brought up the most. Uh, we know that Neville Gallimore is also at the combine and quite honestly probably has the most upside of any of the three Sooners who were invited to the combine and also can make the most money, right? Because nobody's actually seen him Mm -hmm. run. I mean, he was on Bruce Feldman's freak list for two straight years with his reported 4'7", 40 at 335 pounds. If he runs 4'7", he's got to be a first-round pick. I just don't know he's going to run 4'7". Yeah, that's kind of what he's fighting for, right? I mean, if he's able to put some sort of strong testing number out in terms of the 40 or the bench, I mean, he's probably working his way into that first round. Would I take him in the first round right now? Uh, Probably not. But, I mean, hey, I think he's just like a perfect fit for the Seattle Seahawks, for example, especially with a need on the defensive line. So, if he has a good week, I mean, yeah, we're talking about him getting in that late 30 action, which – I think can be accomplished, so I'm pulling for him. I'm hoping that he can achieve all of that come this week. Oh, yeah, I apologize. I made a mistake. Uh, Kenneth Murray is also at the NFL Combine. Yes, so four, not three. That's my bad. Uh, That's another dude who could absolutely vault into the first round with a great showing at the NFL draft, but like it's – or NFL Combine, excuse me. But it's it's weird, Mm -hmm. right, because we've seen guys move up way too far. And we've seen guys that didn't get invites end up having great professional careers. I mean, I don't want to make this a referendum on the scouting combine, but I I almost think that in some ways it has outlived its, you know, its need, right? Because we know so much about these guys already. And I I get that the NFL does not watch college football as a rule. It watches the NFL. Mm -hmm. But the tape's out there. You basically know what you're going to get. And it's all about fit. And at that point, it's about luck. And if you're first-round pick, you're going to get more opportunities to screw up than a guy that's undrafted. That's what it comes down to for me. But I like seeing guys run fast. I like seeing guys jump high. I like seeing guys catch footballs in their underpants. But I'm also weird, you know? I, I get that. I get that. Uh, hey, K-9's going to do all that for you, right? Well, you you think. You think, right? Because, like, if he goes 4-5, <laughs> you know, if he goes 4-5, it's going to be difficult for somebody to pass on him as an athlete just because I think he's going to put up 20 reps on bench. I think he's going to run 4-5. I think he's going to mm-hmm. show great lateral quickness and closing speed. And you're going to look at him just walking in the lobby and you're going to go, yeah, that's an NFL linebacker. In a, in a, mm-hmm. in a linebacker draft that ain't especially deep, by the way. You know, it's like Isaiah Simmons and then it kind of falls off a cliff when we're talking about what we expect to be pro bowl talent. You know, like you're talking about Zach Baum. And Evan Weaver, guys that might not even get drafted until the fourth round, but had outstanding college careers and will be, I think, outstanding dudes in the NFL. But do they warrant first round picks? And this is an unusually deep wide receiver draft. And that's why we're talking about wide receivers in a way that I don't think we've talked about in like five, six years. You know, it's it's interesting because you, you, outside of Burrow, who everybody seems to agree is the best quarterback available, for me, ain't even the best player available. That's Chase Young, and I want to see what that guy runs. And it's also a weirdly deep draft for running backs. So, like, offensively, feels like you're getting what you want. I mean, Tristan Wirfs is probably the best offensive lineman available. But if you have a need at linebacker, I'm not so certain that you wouldn't trade up to go get Murray just because Simmons is going to be gone. And if he's not, that's a problem. 
Uh, yeah. Then again, you know, what do I know? I'm just the guy that's watching the NFL Combine. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me because I think you can make the argument that we talk about Simmons. I think Simmons is an unbelievable player. He may be one of my favorite to watch in all of the collegiate ranks, and then probably that'll carry over to the NFL. But we also have to acknowledge the fact that he's not necessarily a true inside linebacker. I mean, you got you can play that guy strong safety, free safety, nickel, inside, outside. But I, I feel like his fit is more of that versatile athlete on the perimeter where he's able to be the outside linebacker or maybe the nickel. Just kind of provides you like a, a star caliber player. What we're talking about here is canines potentially going into this week fighting for the potential to be the first inside linebacker taken in the draft. Which, think about that. That's a pretty big deal, especially when this guy fought for the butt kiss all year long and got left off the list towards the end, right? I mean, that's a pretty big way for him to redeem himself is to, okay, well, I didn't get necessarily the award I wanted, but I get to be the first true inside linebacker taken in the draft and go ahead and make me some money. That's a big deal. And then when you really consider, okay, well, who would take the inside linebacker, the more and more we consider it, it looks like the Baltimore Sooners, I mean, Baltimore Ravens, could be kicking them up. That's a big deal because they need an inside linebacker. K-9 is perfect for what that defense wants to do. And I mean, the guy would fit right into the locker room. I mean, there's a gajillion guys that wore the crimson and cream in there. So I think this is incredibly intriguing to me, what K-9 does this week. I think more than anything, you mentioned the 40 and the bench. I think, I don't know, just I'm interested to see your perspective on this. I think the bench is probably a bigger deal. Because we know he's fast, we know he's quick, he, we know he's an athlete, but how will he handle NFL interior linemen? Probably going to value that a little bit in terms of the bench press. But no, when you think about it, I mean, K-9's going in this week knowing darn well he's got the potential to be number one, the first inside linebacker taken, and number two, a first-round pick that could potentially go to the Baltimore Ravens, which is a pretty solid landing spot. So there's a lot on, on the table for Kenneth Murray in terms of the NFL combine. I'd agree with that. I would also add for him specifically, like we talk about the physical things that I need to show, and I think you're right about the bench being a big one, but what he shows on a whiteboard, because the knock on, on Murray, which is warranted, mm-hmm. is that he just didn't figure it out at middle linebacker. I mean, they called him a Mike. He called himself a Mike, but he played the will, right? He was the point-and-shoot linebacker in that defense last year. And he was great in that role. And if you have a role like that in your defense, he'll fulfill it. And he's going to work. You know, that's it. he's going to do everything you ask him to do it. You're probably just going to have to ask him eight or nine times before he gets it right. And if you don't have that kind of patience with him, then it ain't going to work. But if you take him in the first round, you're committed to having that kind of patience with him. So I think if he can go in there and he can draw up a whiteboard and make himself look good in those meetings – Absolutely, because then you won't have Charlie Casterly coming out talking out of his butt about what Murray uh, did or didn't do, like he did last year with another Murray. So you know I, that's where I come down on it. Need to add in there, LSU has sixteen guys at this combine. Sixteen. What? Yeah, you, you thought that you'd think they won the national championship or something. <laughs> Golly, man! Like. Patrick Queen, Kavlon, Chasen. I mean, we keep Grant Delpit. We keep going down the list. Christian Fulton probably going to run fast. So, like, when people ask me, you know, what's it going to take for Oklahoma? It's like when you can look at the NFL Combine, you see 16-year dudes, you know you're back. Okay? You, you know you, you did everything that you could do right. And Oklahoma is still looking for its first first-round defensive player drafted since 
what, Gerald McCoy in 2009? Correct. Yeah, goodness. So a lot on Kenneth Murray's shoulders. I want to pivot to baseball because I understand you were at Eldale Mitchell Park over the weekend for the series win. Uh, what did you see and what impressed you? Oh, man, I, I'm really excited about what this young team can accomplish. Skip Johnson at the helm, obviously, and that's why I'm going down to H-Town because we got the Shriners College Classic, premier college baseball coming this weekend in Houston. So any OU fans listening out in H-Town, be sure to grab some tickets. It's college baseball for a good cause. But this week, you have six games at Eldale Mitchell. You had to win a bunch of them to really feel good about yourself before you take on Arkansas, LSU, and Missouri. And I got to tell you, I think we saw exactly what we were expecting. I mean, number one, the starting pitching for this group is next level. I mean, Dane Acker had one rough inning. Outside of that, you couldn't really pinpoint one specific weakness for anyone who took the bump to start for the Sooners. I mean, Levi Prater, Ben Abram, Kate Cavalli's a potential second-round, first-round pick in the MLB draft. It's just fun to watch. Like, great pitching, to me, is what you pay your ticket for. But then you go off of it. Tanner Trudaway is unconscious at the plate. He could go up there blindfolded, and I'm, con- I'm convinced he could still hit, like, 500. I mean, right now he's hitting, like, 393 right now, and he was – he was to the point, RJ, where if he hit a single, it was like, oh, that's pretty disappointing because he had at one point four for eight. Every single hit was for extra bases, homers, doubles, triples. He was all over the place. So they've got a catalyst at the top of the order. It trickles down. Tyler Hardman's providing that power from first base. The relievers look really good. Christian Rubrek is a freshman who's throwing 96, 97 out of the pen. They got two closer options. It's just fun baseball to watch, and I can't wait to see how they face the challenge ahead because, again, you're facing some of the best teams in college baseball in a big league park. So what I saw from this team down in Eldale was encouraging leading into the eventual college class down in Houston. No, you mentioned the teams that they're going to be facing there, and I'm just pulling up the Baseball America poll because I read Baseball America most, and that's the one I trust the most. And you, I mean, if they're they're good, but it's almost like talking about Big Twelve basketball. Florida's at number one. Texas Tech is at number two. My goodness! And then you mentioned LSU. They're at fourteen, just ahead of Oklahoma at number fifteen. And that's really what the conversation becomes with me. I mean, I got to mention Oklahoma State in there at twenty three. The conversation becomes: Are you going to compete for a Big Twelve championship this year? Do you think that yeah. the the team has it in them to go and get a Big Twelve crown with Skip Johnson at the helm? I think it will be difficult to do knowing that number one, Texas Tech, as you mentioned, is pretty darn good. TCU is destroying whoever they face right now. Yeah. Oklahoma State is obviously Oklahoma State. I mean, the conference is just solid. Now, Baylor and Texas will be down there with Oklahoma at the College Classic, so that'll be a good opportunity to kind of scout some competition. But I think this will be a year where Oklahoma has a shot to win the Big 12 tournament, but I don't know that it will be their best chance. I would probably look more down the road as this young talent continues to develop. I mean, hey, if they do win it, I'll say it will be on the shoulders of Cade Cavalli, who is clearly the heart and soul of this baseball team. He is so good out there on the bump, and this is his first year 
solely focusing on pitching. Mm-hmm. So there's a pretty good opportunity to win the Big 12 crown. It will come on the efforts of Cade Cavalli if it does happen. But again, the level of competition in the Big 12 conference, baseball-wise, it's pretty hard to beat. Well, okay, so you mentioned Kay Cavalli, who's a local kid for me uh, from the Bixby area in green country. Uh, and, you know, yep. he's pitching not just for himself. Uh, his his brother tragically can't play the game anymore after uh, a heart condition. But he was coming off of a Team USA performance where he was reportedly hitting 98 on the gun. Have you seen a figure for him uh, out at Eldell? Where, how fast is, or how hard is he throwing, I should say? He's probably sitting around 97 with control. God. I mean, <laughs> get out of here. Dude, let me tell you something. He comes out there on the bump that Friday night, and I'm telling you, he goes 97, 96, 96 with like a second in between pitches. I mean, he was resetting and oh, pumping I love rocket fire, rocket fire. But look, hey, three pitch strikeout with a blink of an eye. Totally 97, 96, 96. And everyone in the stadium, including 14 or 15 scouts that are sitting behind on plate are looking around like, what just happened? I mean, he completely shut these dudes down. I mean, which is to be expected. It wasn't necessarily too high a level of competition in terms of Illinois State. But, man, you're talking about – we're talking about a guy that I watched give up a walk-off balk to Texas Tech when he was a youngster. And now he's out there, three-pitch strike him out. Six pitches in the first inning to retire the side with a blink of an eye. I mean, this guy has just night and day evolved. And again, he's throwing 97-96 with control. I'm being told by a lot of my guys that he can get up to a hundo. But I have to see it to believe it. But, man, I'm telling you, man, he's got a chance to be in the top two rounds and it'll be draft. No, uh, so Baseball America, again, ranks him the number 42 prospect in college baseball right now. 2019 stats, 5-3 and three, with a 328 ERA in 60 innings, 59 strikeouts in 60 innings. Goodness. And a brief skinny on him via Baseball America for folks that aren't necessarily as in tune with college baseball as others. A big right-hander with good stuff but no experience in the weekend rotation coming into last season. It was tough to know what to expect from Cavalli in his first season in the role, but he took it well save for a few weeks when Oklahoma shut him down due to arm soreness. Cavalli was effective and got the Sooners deep into games consistently with a year of experience in the role under his belt now and elite velocity, as Colin pointed out. On his fastball, Oklahoma's hope is that he will come back in 2020 as one of the most dominant pitchers in the Big 12. And if he is, I think we can agree he gives them an opportunity to go and compete for that title. And I'm, I mean, I'm excited about it because one, it's, it's OU baseball I get, but I, I'm always excited about local kids, man. I, and for me, that's a local kid that a lot of folks mm-hmm. have put a lot of their energy and time into following and to understanding. So that's huge. That's massive. Uh, parting shots on baseball here. Colin, I'm sorry. Uh, that's about it for me. Okay, That's cool. about cool. it for me in terms cool. of baseball. So cool. whatever you want to touch on. Let's go with basketball. Let's go to uh, OU had a piss-poor showing in the return trip to Bedlam in Stillwater. Brady Manick is still a liability defensively, and Austin Reeves has kind of been, I, I don't know, a shell of himself, some people Terrible. would say. Yeah, but, like, that's the thing. Like, that's that was that dude to me. I mean, outside of Christian Doolittle, you know, uh, who needs to do more, it's really been difficult to to pick on anybody not named Devion Harmon, Jamal Bienemy, and you get 
from time to time some help from guys like uh, Kirk Woth, but it's uh, they are who we thought they were in a really tough stretch in their conference schedule. I mean, we're talking about lost to KU, lost to Baylor, lost to Oklahoma State, and then you get Texas Tech tomorrow night, and I'm going, goodness me, okay, where's the win here, guys? Because I, I don't see it. They're at 16 and 10 right now. Yeah, and it doesn't get much easier either. Well, you, as you mentioned, Texas Tech, but then they got to go to an angry West Virginia squad that probably isn't too happy after what they did to them last time around. You got Texas and TCU to close. TCU just beat West Virginia. So I, I, I'm telling you, man, this has just been a tough, tough thing to see. And I don't expect it getting any better, but I think we kind of have to have that discussion now of this team's probably out of the tournament. I mean, I would say so. I just don't know that you can look at this team and tell yourself, let alone convince yourself efficiently, that they deserve a bid, especially when there are a lot of other squads out there that are playing some decent ball. So it's tough because, for me, what they went through in the beginning of the year, I think we were all like, okay, this team is young, they're inexperienced, they have – so many new guys, like seven new guys in the roster. It's just a matter of experience and chemistry. Like, they're going to figure it out. And they got some decent ones to begin the year. And then now it's like, okay, well, when are they going to figure it out? And it just hasn't come. So if it hasn't come now, what makes me think it's going to happen when they reach the NCAA tournament if they were gifted a bid? So it's disappointing to see. I know the Fire Lawn Kruger crowd is out in groves, but I just don't know – that everything falls on the shoulders of him in this situation because, I mean, his players aren't just making shots. A lot of defensive liabilities, like you mentioned, it's just disappointing to see. Yeah, and again, this was the make-or-break part of the schedule, right? I pointed this Mm -hmm. out going into the game against Kansas at the Fog. Look, you're going to learn everything you need to know about this OU basketball team in the next five games, and they're 0-3 to show against an Oklahoma State team that looked really good against – Texas Tech, and I thought they were turning the corner, and they kind of have. We had Mike Boynton come out in his orange blazer for the Bedlam game, and it never like I had picked Oklahoma State by five, and they they made me look good, and then some. But that's also because they're trending in a direction that Oklahoma is not. And now we're talking about the number one and the number two team in the conference are Kansas and, and Baylor. And that was an absolutely awesome game on Saturday at the Farrell Center. Woo. I mean, that was that was brilliant, but. This team's got to go not just finish this schedule, but they got to go back into a Big 12 tournament where, again, it's Kansas, it's Baylor, it's, an, as you said, angry West Virginia. It's a Texas Tech team that could, would not, and would not surprise anybody to make the Final Four. And I'm going, Lon, what we got? Because I love Lon. I don't think Lon's getting fired. I don't want Lon fired. I also want to know that something good is going to come down the line, and unless they start hitting shots, as you said, it's just not in the cards for them. But another year, I think it gets better. I think with uh, Bijan Cortez committed, coming in, they'll get a little bit better at the guard position. They'll get deeper, if nothing else. But it's about bigs. And if you want to have a criticism of Lon, it's that he has not been able to recruit and develop a blue-chip big man. I mean, we're talking about Jamani McNeese need a red shirt. We're talking about Kadeem Latin never really got where we thought he was going to be, even as... You know, he had tremendous pedigree. I mean, uh, Big Daddy Latin was his grandfather. And, you know, all the way down to a moth and by, you know. So 
I'm not really interested in firing Lon, but I am interested in asking him to go recruit some bigs. And quite frankly, it's just difficult to do. It really is. Um, yeah. I wanted to pivot to back to recruiting as Steve Wiltfogg put in a crystal ball for Relique Brown to Oklahoma. What do you think about that, man? Well, that's huge. I mean, what we talked about it, what, a podcast two or go? The fact that Relique Brown is priority one for Oklahoma in the 2022 class. The next thing you know, the CBs start flowing in, especially from the fong. I mean, you got to be feeling pretty good about where you're at if you're Lincoln Riley and the crew. But, look, Relique Brown, again, my comp for him is Percy Harvin and Riley system. I just think he's an elite athlete. And if you can put yourself in a strong position in the now, I mean, we're talking about this being in late February. Who knows how much more momentum you can build once spring practices start, once things really pick up in the summer and then fall has yet to arrive. Bottom line here is they're laying a solid foundation to build sustained success in the recruitment of Lake Brown, who, again, they have to land in 2022 for a number of different reasons. So this is huge for Oklahoma, whether or not he really values recruiting sites or not. I think it, it. there's no nothing to say but good stuff about it. The only thing that I, I can hear somebody saying is, hey, don't tell me about 2022 kids. Well, you would want to know. One, you would want to know. Two, all a good news on the recruiting front in February, as I've said, hope springs eternal in February, okay? And if he's trending, like, I think he's 100% to, to Oklahoma right now. We're not just us putting in crystal balls, but the national guys putting in crystal balls, and this is all coming off of uh, a really outstanding camp that he just had, but he's going to keep going through the process, and, you know, it'll be one thing if he decides to commit to Oklahoma and then keeping him in the boat for another couple of years is always going to be a tough task. Just see Jace McClellan. Uh, as we continue, as we're getting out of dead period, right, we're coming toward the end of dead period. We talked about Tumise Adelier needing to be a, a, a dude for Oklahoma. It seems like he's trending toward Florida right about now, but I am fascinated by the idea that we mentioned Caleb Williams and Travion Henderson joining the 2021 class, if they did, and what that might mean for Oklahoma going forward. But I wanted to to bring this up to you. So I did this interview with Latrell McCutcheon that is going to be on the on Insider by the time this podcast upload. But it's also uh, this video where, you know, he we just talked. And one of the things that he gave me was this quote. I'm going to read it for you. It's about it's about Texas and from in, coming from the Austin area. And I was like, so where's Texas? He said, I'm not even considering him. He said, I just don't like them. A lot of people just think we grew up loving Texas. It's not really like that out here. In my recruitment, I can't really speak for anybody else, but I feel like Texas was sleeping on me. I mean, I lived 20 minutes away from the school, and I had an OU offer, an Alabama offer. I had all these different offers before I even got the UT offer, and I camped up there. I went up there to visit like five weeks in a row. So with me, UT, they don't really have a shot with me. Like, that's dead. They can take their offer back to tell you the truth. Sheesh. Yeah. Yeah. Latrell Latrell let him have it. Like, he came up with that of his own volition. Right? We just chatting. And I was like, what, what? Yeah, seriously. I'm like, so what other schools are you, are you considering? He's like, OU, Bama, Penn State, Vitek. 
And he said, and then he said, that's really it. I don't really like any of the Texas schools to tell you the truth. Now he kind of backed up off of the Texas schools bit because he's like, nah, AM's all right. It's really just Texas. <laughs> oh my goodness. I was dying. So I wanted to give that one to you and see what you thought about that one. Tell us how you really feel, big man. I'm loving it. I mean, hey, look, I, I, I understand where he's coming from. I think everybody knows me. I'm from the state of Texas. And it's just been so incredibly intriguing to see UT basically fumble a lot of recruiting runs. I mean, it's become strange how, I don't want to say hated, but not liked they are by kids in Austin. (laughs) It's brutal. Like, anytime I talk to a guy in that area, I'm asking them now, like, hey, what do you think about UT? Just assuming they'd be like, oh, I grew up on the school. And a lot of those dudes from an area are like, no, they're not really doing it for me because they're straight up giving me the cold shoulder. I'm like, well, Tommy H has got to wake up because he's got some dudes in his own backyard that are giving him the hate stick. But, mm-hmm. I mean, hey, that's that's brutal, man. I, I You don't like it when kids feel that way about schools, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like the recruiting process should be something fun. It should be something eye-opening it's just an opportunity for these guys to make a big decision and to be quite honest grown people should be catering to the wants and needs of these young individuals and so for him to feel that way about ut i mean first of all props to him for putting it out there that because that is rough Mm -hmm. but i mean it's also kind of sad right i mean no matter how you feel as a fan or a media member about that particular school it's just you'd never want to see a kid that cold-shouldered by a school in his own backyard, but that's the nature of the beast that we're facing right now. Yeah, and that that was where I ended up pivoting, too, because, again, coming out of Austin area, he's committed to Alabama. He's part of their three-member 21 class. He's been committed for some time, right? And he's coming off of a an ACL injury, so he hasn't really played football in over a year. So that'll be interesting to watch how that continues to play out. He's visiting Oklahoma on March 1st. It's going to bring a buddy with him, but I'm with you. Yeah, I, I, on the one hand, you're giggling because how often is a kid this raw and honest with you, especially on tape? Yeah. Right? Especially on tape. And like I said, we're just chatting on a Sunday evening, and I'm just expecting to talk a little bit about Friday Night Tykes, what he expects from Oklahoma, gave me the no comment a couple of times on what it's going to take to flipping, and I said, all right, fool. And then this. So not just wild stuff over there man just wild Colin is there anything else you wanted to touch on that we haven't uh I think that about does it for me I'm sure we may do one of these again this week you mentioned you've got that interview coming I've got something coming up with Kelvin Gilliam out of the Virginia area so stay tuned for both of those because I gotta tell you right now ouinsider.com we got to pop it over there so stay tuned all week let's be sure to talk some ball again Amen. As RJ Young, that's Colin Kennedy. Give him a follow on the Twitters at CK or C Kennedy247. That is C Kennedy247. Colin, thanks, man. I'll talk to you soon. Always appreciate you. Always fun. All right, brother.